It's falling from the clouds A strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain It's ringing in the sky Like cannons in the night The music of the universe Good morning, Carpenter's Way. Good to see your faces. Uh, we have our Carpenter's Way 101 class going on, uh, about to start here in the next five minutes or so. So if you're new to the church or maybe been here a little bit checking it out, if you want to learn more about the church, kind of how we operate, how we do stuff, that's going to be in the library, which is right here. If you got either one of these doors, it's that, that room right there. Uh, if you go, you are not signing up for membership. It's just basically you're learning about it, and then you can make your decision from there. Cool? All right. Everybody else is in the room. Uh, we're going to welcome you. Uh, you can stay in and worship with us if you're online. Uh, Yo, yeah, don't be a spectator.
When worry comes in like a flood There are no answers to be found There is a place where we are safe and sound He is our anchor, He will not be moved He is a shelter in the rain a mighty tower where every heart is safe. Even when the hard winds blow, to this refuge we will go. Our God is stronger. No matter what may come our way, He's never worried or afraid. Our God is stronger in any moment we can call his name he is ours and we are his and we rejoice for we belong to hard winds blow to this refuge we will go our God is stronger no matter what may come our way he's never worried or afraid our God is stronger and who can tame the mighty one and who can hold him in their hand, oh, none so worthy, none so strong, our God alone will stand. Even when the hard winds blow, to this refuge we will go, our God is stronger. No matter what may come our way, He's never worried or afraid. Our God is stronger. And even when the hard winds blow, to this refuge we will go. Our God is stronger. No matter what may come our way, He's never worried or afraid. God is stronger. Yes, our God is stronger. Oh, our God is stronger. Yeah. Amen.
wheelchair. I know sometimes that sounds weird, so <laughs> stand if you can, please. If you can't, do not worry about it. Um, God hears us no matter where we are in our position. So we're going to read some scripture out of Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You know, we just sang a song called, Lord, I Need You. And I think uh, for me personally, maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes it's hard to sing those words 
because I don't know that we know it down deep. Like, do I really need you? Like, I needed you to get saved. I needed you to, you know, open the door for me to get to heaven. But do I really need you right now? And then uh, reading this, you know, just how much of that is God's work. Like, God saved you. God did this. God decided in advance to adopt you. This really brings it back, and I know Mark's going to get into this this morning, just about this incredible good news that we have that God has done all the work. And so we can sing these words like, Lord, I need you. We can sing these words to say, Lord, be enthroned. Like, I'm not, I'm not putting you as, I'm not making you God. I'm just saying that you are God in my life. Like, be enthroned over everything in my life. Be enthroned over my sickness, my fears, my tears, my pain, everything. Just be God in my life. So let's sing this together. Who is like our God? We spoke and there was life. And saw how it should be. And who is like our God? We sent a son to die. To set the captive free. We will exalt you, our God the King. Over all the earth, we will sing. Be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you're due. Be enthroned, let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume. Lifting you where you belong Be enthroned Be enthroned Who is like our God With strength beyond compare Love that knows no end And who is like our God The ever-reigning King And always faithful friend We will exalt you Our God the King And over all the earth We will sing with our worship to you by the praise that you're due we'll be enthroned let our worship preach you like the scent of perfume lifting you where you belong be enthroned and over all our suffering and over all our fear And over every sickness And over every tear And over all of our desires And over all our dreams We exalt you high, O oh Lord We enthrone you our King We enthrone you Throne you are. 
Hoping throne with our worship to you by the praise that your dear Hoping throne let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume lifting you where you belong be enthroned be enthroned with our worship to you by the praise that you'll do oh be enthroned let our worship reach you like the scent of perfume lifting you where you belong Oh, be enthroned, be enthroned. Oh, be Savior's love for 
in glory His face I at last shall see It will be my joy through the ages To sing of His love for me That's fine. Father God, we just stand in awe. We stand in awe of a God that would look down on us and, and declare us holy, declare us righteous, that would take care of everything that needs to be done. God, we stand in awe. We stand in awe, Lord. We ask God as we open your word this morning, as we dig into this uh, incredibly over-the-top good news, we ask, Lord, that you would just open our hearts and our ears uh, to really hear it, God, and let it just sink down deep in our souls, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our children are going to go to GPS through third grade, and we're going to get into the Scripture. Uh, it is still, uh, for those of you who are interested, I want to remind you, it's still not too late to join, join the Carpenter's Way 101 class if you'd like to sneak out with the kids. Uh, a couple other things as you came in. I'm sure you saw the busyness of the welcome area. It is Operation Christmas Child time. And uh, of all the outreach ministries we do as a church, this is, man, this one is our biggest one of the year, and it takes all of our congregation to be involved in that. We basically are the regional hub for Operation Christmas Child with Samaritan's Purse. For those of you who don't know what that is, basically, throughout the year, these gifts go across the globe, and they go into churches that the gospel is presented and invite the kids and the community in, and they hear the gospel, and they give them gifts. And then they sign up for an 11-week discipleship program called The Greatest Journey. It is a phenomenal program, and we're excited to be a part of it. I think we've been, we, man, it's been well over a dozen years that we've been doing this, and it's a privilege to be a part. Uh, during, it goes from a Monday to Monday. It's, it's the week before Thanksgiving, so it goes from Monday to Monday. 
uh, and we receive them all week. And if you are able or interested and willing to uh, sit at the table and receive some of these boxes, we would certainly appreciate it. There's a sign-up out there. The other thing that I wanted to mention is it is annual business meeting time. For those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, Carpenter's Way is an elder-led church, uh, and we have deacons as well, but the, the congregation, the membership of the church votes on uh, just a couple things. Church officers, and there is a list. Out, uh, the, uh, you nominate them, the elders pray over it, and then we meet with them, and then of that we select uh, however many we need for both of our deacon teams, mission investment team that oversees all of our mission work. The second one is our finance team that makes sure I don't steal money and that we have a budget that reflects our, our income because this church doesn't have cash cows. We don't have businesses. It's you. Everything we spend on ministry comes directly from you. Uh, the third thing is the elder position, and every year there's one elder position that opens up, and we are in the process right now of doing that. We've already gone through the interview of those people, uh, but also the budget for 20, 000, uh, 2023 is out there, and you can take a look at it. And then on the 13th and two Sundays on November 13th at 5 p.m. Can you believe it's November already? Wow. So, um, um, so on the 13th at 5 p.m. we vote on that. So we encourage you to grab that membership. We encourage you to read through it. We encourage you to ask questions. If you have any concerns about the people who are nominated for church office positions, please grab an elder and let us know. Uh, that's why they're out there. You can ask questions, but the night of the vote, we're not going to take questions on individuals because that's not building up. Uh, you have two weeks to do that. That's why we get it to you early. And uh, if you have any questions on the budget, feel free to ask them. There's nothing hidden at Carpenter's Way. I mean, the only thing hidden at Carpenter's Way is some of the counseling we're doing and church discipline, as far as, which doesn't happen a lot. But, but as far as it goes, we, we are just a family, and this is our living room, and uh, you make it happen and allow us to do our ministry by your giving and your involvement. So that's out there. So, okay? All right, you ready? Let's jump into the text. I want to show you a picture before we do. This is, uh, this is my grandma and grandfather. This is my dad's dad and mom. Uh, her name was Bonnie. His name was Roy. And uh, at another time, I'll tell you more about them. But to give you an idea, uh, I, I'm going somewhere with this. My grandfather, Roy, grew up on the streets of Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, he was a street kid. And actually, when he married the beautiful, wonderful, way better than him, Bonnie, uh, he actually supported his family by bo boxing in golden gloves. In Indianapolis, it was a huge hub for that. Him and his family did that. Uh, at, uh, uh, right around World War II, he signed up for the Army, ended up moving to Texas, where my dad, were you born in Texas? No, you were born in Indianapolis. But he spent some time down here as a kid, and then eventually, in, for the war effort, he was moved out of Texas to San Diego, California, where he served at the, uh, uh, in, uh, at the uh, Army base there, making tanks for the war effort. So my grandfather was a great boxer. He was uh, very talented, but he was a phenomenal mechanic. And uh, actually, when he retired from the military, he opened up a shop in his garage, and that's when you could work on cars in your garage. But he would tune cars. He would change oil. He could do anything on a car. He also raced cars in Southern California. Um, one of the things about my grandfather is, for, what, for family reasons and whatever, I spent more time with my mom's family than my dad's. My brother spent a lot of time with Roy and Bonnie. He would travel with them. 
But one interesting thing about them was, as I got older and, it, and I started driving, and I was getting ready to go to college, I went to college at 17 in Chicago, my grandfather Roy felt it was time for me to learn how to fix a car or keep a car running. So, yeah, you're already laughing. Um, so, I wasn't really interested in cars. I was interested, you can leave the spark plug up there. Um, I wasn't really interested in cars. I was more interested in girls surfing, surfing to get girls' attention. Uh, I was interested in drama, girls. Uh, I was interested in uh, lots of things about that. I wasn't interested in cars. And, uh, but my grandfather was very influential. He felt I needed to understand how to tune up an engine. Now, for those of you who are my age who worked on cars, you know you really can't tune an engine today because it's got computers and everything. It's very hard. But back in the day, uh, you would tune up an engine and had the distributor cap, and my grandfather wanted me to, to know how to do that. I can still, to this day, when I go to Cox Muffler in order to get my car inspected when it won't pass an inspection anywhere else, just kidding, um, <laughs> the smell of the grease, some of you are laughing harder. Cause, okay, I got to keep going. That's not true. All of my cars pass. But I, the smell of the grease in those places, not the gasoline, the grease takes me right back to my grandfather's garage. And I remember sitting in his garage as he explained what a distributor cap was, and, and he explained to me what that was, a spark plug. Now, everybody in this room knows what a spark plug is, or at least has seen one of these before. But a spark plug basically on any combustion engine uh, at the bottom of it, if you look, there's a spark that goes from that long arm into the body of that spark plug. And basically what that does is that makes your engine run smooth. If that gets off, if that spark gets off, I, I'm going, still going somewhere. I'm not going to teach you how to tune up a car this morning. But if that spark gets off or the distance between the bottom of the spark plug and that, that metal rod right there, that's called a gap. <laughs> No, seriously, it's called a gap. There's a little tool called a gapper that you put in there, and depending on the engine you're using, you gap the engine. That's what he wanted to teach me while I was eating chips. That, that's what he, he wanted to teach me how to gap it, and, and the tool, and he gave me one. I still have it to this day, a little gapping tool that I can gap that spark plug so that that engine will run smoothly. And uh, uh, basically, I didn't care, but I do now. But all of that is to say, most of us have gone at theology, and I would dare say even our salvation, the same way that I went at spark plugs. We just want it to work. I just want my car to start. I just want to put the key in there, and I want it to start. That, I, don't care. I don't care about looking under the hood. I, I don't care about spark plugs or distributor caps or now computerized engines. I don't, I don't care about those things. I just want it to work. The problem is, my grandfather understood that it's not just about cars. It affects, it affects gas-powered lawnmowers. It affected the difference between spending $150 having a blower fixed. Learning how to deal with the spark plug and the timing of an engine meant a lot. And you know what? It was all that he felt he could give me because, frankly, that's what he did. Your salvation... There's a lot of information you need to know. Not because it makes you more saved, but because God wants you to know just how in love with you He is. He wants you and I to know how hard He had to work, how much He did, 
what he saved us from so that we would fall in love with him or at least let him love on us. And while most of us live in a time where it's screamed out, don't let doctrine divide, doctrine does divide. It just does. Because frankly, people want to do their own thing. And so it's super important that you understand what's under the hood of your salvation. And that's just not Mark talking. That's what Paul is doing in this letter. If you remember from chapter 1 after the greeting of Romans, he, he starts by telling you how lost the lost are and why do they act lost. Because they have refused to bow the knee to God. And when you do that, there are fruit of that life. There are ramifications of it. And some of it is God turns them over to a depraved or dark, darkened mind. And so when we look at the world today, when we get frustrated with the world, when we try to figure out why they are so ridiculous or immoral, God says through Paul, well, I told you this is what happens. And then you get to chapter 2, where Paul basically says the moralist, the religion, specifically the Jew who thinks that they got it all together, they're still in trouble. And he goes on to say that while they may scream out at people breaking the law, you break the law every day of your life in your own way, and therefore you fall short. In fact, chapter 3 of Romans that we studied last week summarized the first two chapters by saying this. We have already shown, see, I've made my case, Paul's saying, for the lost person, for the religious person, the moralist, we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All, so we went from no one doing the right thing to all have turned away. All have become useless. And, and if you've been with us this time, or maybe you haven't been in the church your whole life, you might be saying, well, I've met some really good people. God's response to your feelings are, no one does good, not a single one. Well, what do you mean no one does good? You've got the United Way, you've got you know, all these secular organizations that do good. We're not talking about nice people, benevolent people. We're talking about according to God's standard, a divine standard. Not even a single one does good. Well, what does that look like? Well, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Have you ever said something before you thought about what you were going to say and wish you could take it back? That's what he's talking about. Everyone does that. I, I don't know about you. I, I still to this day have, I've got friends that are police officers or, uh, you know, police force. And it is such a dumb question when you pull me over and say, do you know why I pulled you over? Please don't ask that. <laughs> I don't know if you're testing my breath or what, but that, I don't, I don't know, officer. I was, you know, I don't know. You're the one who pulled me over. How am I supposed to know? That is not the right response. But sometimes it comes out of your mouth. You can't help yourself. And, 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 and he's saying, you know, the talk is foul, like a stench from an open grave. Their tongues, whose? Everyone's tongues are filled with lies. I'm not a liar. You've never told somebody that their hair was nice when it wasn't? You've never told somebody you really don't like? Oh, I like you a lot. Of course you have. Because this isn't talking about some people. It's not talking about non-religious people. It's not talking about immoral people. It's talking about our people, all people. 
Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. And here's the bottom line of why they do those things. They have no fear of God at all. And fear isn't afraid fear. It's respect. It's, it's again, what we read in Romans 1. It's, he's on the throne. I trust him. And if you think that it's different for the moralist or the religious person or even the Christian today, Christians have been freaking out for two years about politics in this country. Why? Because they don't remember that God's still on the throne. They don't really believe it or they don't want his plan because it's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's frustrating. I, I'm not going to say it's not any of those things. It is frustrating. I'm sure it was frustrating to Moses when God called him to deliver the people out of Israel or out of, out of Egyptian slavery. I'm sure that was frustrating to Elijah to call down fire from heaven and, and to watch the prophets of Baal be destroyed and then have the king or the queen say, I'm going to kill you. I'm sure that's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's still right. Um, this is an incredible text because... Well, verse 19, obviously the law applies, this is where we finished last week, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to, ensure, and to show that who? The entire world is guilty before God. Not guilty before each other, not guilty in front of the church, but guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. This is a bummer text. The news, as uh, we're going to talk about the really, really good news, but it has to start with the really, really bad news as you look under the hood. There's a lot of grease under there. There's a lot of grime. The battery is overwhelmed with junk. It's bad. So much grease that most people don't, uh, don't just want to take their car and drive their spiritual car through a car wash and never look under the hood. But I got news. If you wash a car whose engine is failing, it may be cleaner on the outside, but it's, it's still failing. It won't run. If you drink a Diet Coke with your super greasy pizza, it's still bad for your heart. <laughs> You're laughing because a lot of you do that. If you put too much blue cheese dressing on a beautiful vegetable salad, veg, that word, salad, you might as well have eaten a Big Mac. If you bathe your veggies in bacon fat, it doesn't count as a healthy serving of vegetables anymore. And if you go to church without dealing with the real sin issue in your life, you're just a religious sinner who is still guilty before God. And the spiritual bad news is really, 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 really bad for everybody. Everyone ever born. But the spiritual good news, where the where the word gospel comes from is so super over-the-top good that it is mind-blowing if you take time to think about it. And that's what we're going to look at in today's text. In Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 21, and we're just going to walk through this text through the end of the chapter. Paul continues by saying, but now God has shown us a way to be made right without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. Can, can we just take a breath at this too popular verse? And I, I mean, we're so familiar with this verse that we don't really think about what it says. 
You mean that the law giver whose law I'm breaking has made a way for me to be right without keeping the law. So, despite the fact, and, and look, a lot of people would take the first two chapters and two and a half chapters of Romans and want to argue it. Well, I'm not a bad person. Well, you're not a bad person as people judge people, but you are a bad person as God judges people. Well, I don't want that God. It doesn't matter. I, I, I think if I could scream anything when I become president of the United States, I, come on, do you have a better option at this point? When I, when, when I take that and it's, it's, it's the day, I just want to say there is a God, he is a judging, and he will judge you no matter what your truth is or not. If you are born a boy, you're still a boy, even in a dress. Truth is truth. If you are a girl and you put on boys' pants, you're still a girl in boys' pants. If you want to be something you're not, you can be it for Halloween, but you can't be it the rest of the year. If you are a girl, you will probably, outside of maybe being a kicker one day, never play in the NFL unless they really destroy the league. Because the goal of watching football is to see a bunch of guys banging on each other to see who wins the fight. I mean, it's just, I will never play soccer against Rachel Bonin. Now get me right, I can beat her, but I don't want to humiliate her. She's about to go to college. I will never play soccer against her. Her coach would not look at this amazing 56-year-old body and go, we need that on our team. Because I'm 56, I have a bad back, and I'm lousy at soccer. Maybe I could be goalie because I'm big enough. But the fact is, I'm not going to do that. And this world keeps lying to us. You can be anything you want. No, you can't. You can't be a rock, for instance. You can't be a car. And Star Wars is just a made-up story. And if you're mad that the new ones aren't faithful to the canon of Star Wars, you're weird. It's not even true. And I'm fully aware that Top Gun, Maverick, was ridiculous at the end, and I loved every part of it. Because it's just a movie. It's not true. But there is something that is true, and that is God is real. He created everything in spoken word. The Bible's reliable and that one day every person will stand before him as their judge. And everybody falls short. And, and somewhere along the line, the church has forgotten just how short we fall because that's when we start telling the world, you're gross instead of you're redeemable. And this verse just told us that you could be saved as a sinner who has not kept the law, who does not still keep the required standards of God's law. And what is really crazy about this verse, and I get so excited about this, I'm trying not to overheat this morning, because this is the most important text in all of Scripture, to be honest with you. The most basic. But the Greek, which it was written in, of verse 21, makes it clear that not only have we broken God's law in the past, but we continue to break God's law. So not only were we in trouble, and are we in trouble because of, we are in trouble because of. Because this afternoon, you're going to break God's law. Well, I've never committed adultery. Have you ever lusted? I remind you of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Have you ever hated? Have you ever called somebody an idiot? I've done it from the pulpit. Have you ever called somebody a fool? Those are all breaking God's rules. And yet, while the rules are not up for negotiation, God the judge has actually given us a way, and it's not a new way, where we can be made right with him without keeping those rules. So in modern Christendom, you're told by pastors, get better. Where Paul is saying, God's made a way where you don't have to get better to be saved. That's kind of crazy. Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. What's that last line? While we were still sinners. There's a lot of folks going, well, if those gay people would stop being gay, they can be saved. Or if murderers, if we'll stop murdering, they can be saved. I want to make it clear that you and I were saved while we were still sinners. Jesus Christ paid the price 2,000 years ago. He's not paying the price tomorrow. While we were yet sinners, before we even knew who he was, before we even cared about his law, he died for us. He paid the price when we didn't even wink in his direction. While we were still doing our major bad stuff, while we were still living for ourselves, that's what this says. But what's really weird in the Greek is that we continue to sin. He says at the end of that verse, uh, verse 21 in Romans 3, and this, was, uh, this is the same way. We can be made right with God without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. For those of you who hate the Old Testament or the God of the Old Testament, that line should blow you out of the water because the Old Testament is the same story as the New Testament. Well, the God of the Old Testament is angry. Just so you know, the God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. And I want to remind you what the God of the Old Testament said 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. In other words, he didn't float. He didn't glow in the dark. There was nothing that even attracted us to him. So he wasn't even that good looking. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Can somebody tell me, an English teacher here, what is the tense of these verses? Past tense. Past tense. How weird is it that 700 years before this guy comes on the scene, Isaiah the prophet is prophesying about him in the past tense. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in the mainstream, in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. 
He had, no, he had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. 700 years before Jesus' birth, this is written. But it was our Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, and he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of the many and interceded for rebels. Who's he talking about here? Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah, who wasn't even dreamed up at this point in history. And it goes on to talk about a crucifixion. At this point in history, there was no crucifixion. Nobody was putting people on crosses. This is so crazy. And we're so taught it so many times. We just kind of blow it off like, oh, that's salvation. Understand. This specifically, this is so accurate to the life of Jesus that most conservative Jews don't even teach this chapter when they study Isaiah with their people. Why? Because if you ask a Jew who knows anything about world history, who it's probably referring to, is there anyone historically you can think of? I don't know. Jesus? It describes him. And it's important that you understand that there are hundreds of of Old Testament prophecies starting at Genesis right after the fall when God tells Mary that one of her seed will actually uh, pay the price, crush Lucifer's head. In chapter 4, when we have Cain and Abel sacrificing for their sin, in the oldest book of the Bible, in Job, we have Job referring to his Redeemer. Understand. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3 where he says, this isn't new. God has shown us a different way of being made right in his sight. In fact, this way was even talked about before the law was written. How cool is our God? Scripture tells us in Ephesians that we were even chosen to be his before the world was formed. So the Trinity, all three of him, got together before the world was created and said, let's create man. It'll be our most precious possession. Well, they're going to rebel. Let's go ahead and plan a way to save them. Well, how are we going to do that? <coughs> Here we go. But now God has shown us a way, verse, chapter 3, verse 21, of being made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. I just, I just can't get over that. What judge says, we're going to declare you not guilty today, and by the way, it, it, it has nothing to do with you going out and keeping the law now. I mean, that's, that's just mind-blowing. And I know some of you are freaking out right now. Don't give people a license to sin. First of all, if you're going to sin because you've been set free from sin, then you really haven't been set free from sin. So, so we'll get into that later. Chapter 6, we're in chapter 3. Chapter 6 starts with Meganoito. How should we who have died to sin still live in it? You know, he, he talks about all that. Should we continue sinning that grace might increase? Absolutely not. But that's not where we're at in the text. This tells us how a person is saved. And a person is saved without keeping the requirements of the law. We are made right with God, verse 22 says, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. The Hebrews thought that they had the inside track to salvation because of their genetics, because of their laws. 
The moralist thinks that he or she has the inside track because he or she can identify immoral behavior or goodness compared to everyone else on the planet. The judge says no. The judge says just because you can identify immorality, it doesn't save you. This says that everyone who believes, no matter who they are, Gentile or Jew, moralist or immoral person, no matter who they are, through faith in Jesus, without keeping the requirements of the law, can be made right with God. Now, here's where the Greek gets cool again. Remember I told you before it said that not only we have sinned and fallen short, but we continue to sin and fall short. Remember that? Well, the Greek in this says that God, uh, that not only do we continue to break the law, but verse 22 says, the Greek infers, that anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ has been made right, declared right, we'll get into that next week, but continues to be declared right with God, no matter who they are or what they do. How crazy is that? So in other words, for those of you who are wondering if you can lose your salvation, it's pretty clear in the Greek the answer is no if you've truly been saved because not only were you saved at one moment in time by the work of Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him, but you continue to be saved by the same thing. In other words, God continually says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're right with me. You're righteous. You're holy. Well, I j they just committed adultery. Paid for that too. It's crazy. And I know some of you are freaking out. Don't give people a license to sin. I'm not. I'm giving them a license to break the law. You see, God's grace is bigger than we could ever possibly imagine. But so are the ramifications of that. You see, I'm getting ahead of myself. So here we go. Let's go under the hood. Let's grab that spark plug. Let's gap the spark plug. Here we go. 23, verse, uh, Romans 3, 23 through 5a. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So he's backing up. You could be made right with God without keeping the requirements of the law. Now he's backing up and saying, everybody, here's the problem. Everybody has sinned. Everybody falls short of God's standard. Don't let the word glorious throw you off here. It's just an adjective. Paul is waxing eloquent. It's a glorious standard. It's a huge standard. But everybody falls short of it. Again, the Greek states that we already have fallen short of God's glorious, wonderful standard, and we continue regularly to fall short of God's glorious, wonderful standard. Yet God. Some of you want to have a, have a t-shirt that says, but God, my two favorite words, right? Yeah. Well, here it's different. It's yet God, and it's even better. Yet God, yet God what? Despite the fact that we all fall short, every one of us, the moralist, the religious, the Jew, the Gentile, the Christian, the Catholic, the Methodist, the Mormon, the Baptist, whatever. Yet God, in His grace, remember what grace is? We talked about grace and mercy. Mercy, now, now think, you've got to think logically here. Mercy, when we talk about it, is not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting hell. We just learned you deserve hell. You deserve God's wrath, whatever it is. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, judgment. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. So yet God, in his grace, we're about to find out what God has done that we do not deserve in any way, freely makes us right in his sight. In other words, if you by faith trust in Jesus Christ to, to, to pay for your sin, no matter what you did last night, you still stand before him pure and holy because of what he did on your behalf. That is crazy. Only God could think of something like this. And by the way, 
I think the Old Testament, most of what it is, is an example that people can't save themselves no matter how easy God makes it. Like starting with two people in the garden who've never sinned and don't have a sin nature who choose to know the difference between right and wrong in their own power. So they eat the fruit they're told not to eat from. They, they had no sin in them. But they chose sin. Or how about their, their kids, Cain and Abel, where God says all you have to do is keep obey your conscience and sacrifice and I'll take care of it. One kills the other and thought that maybe God would grade on a curve. Or how about God saying, everybody get in a boat and I'm going to save you. I'm going to start the world over. Everybody get in a boat and only eight people go. Then the next big jump, I, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but you could say, okay, God, you know, you're making it so complicated. If you'll just give us 10 rules to follow, like simple rules, like don't murder and don't lust and don't, don't sleep with somebody else's spouse and, and don't, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you know, and actually one of the rules is take a day off. That's not funny to you. You realize that the Ten Commandments are the ten dumbest rules ever in the world. I want you to focus on me. That's the first one. Have no other gods. And the other nine are what we learned in kindergarten. Don't touch other people's stuff. Don't touch other people's girlfriends. Don't touch. They're dumb. I mean, and, and another one is literally take a day off. Keep the Sabbath. Day rest. And what's the one that we hate the most in the church? The Sabbath day. Don't take a day off. See, the thing is, the laws, not only can't we keep them, we don't even want to keep them. So God creates this great nation, and he meets them at the base of this huge mountain, and he shows them his presence, lightning and smoke and amazing, miraculous things like food that falls from heaven. Can you have, I mean, dear God, I don't want to think about money. Just make food fall from heaven. Okay, I've done that. How about the fact that they only walked where God led them? There was a, a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. God, I just don't know where you are, so if you just gave me direction, do you realize that you can't think of anything that God didn't offer the nation of Israel? I don't ever want to fight our enemies. Okay, you'll never have to pick up a sword. Here's what I want you to do. When you get across into the land of promise, there's going to be the first city you're going to come to is called Jericho, and you're going to take them down. We don't want to fight. We're not really good at fighting. Okay, so you're not going to have to fight. What we're going to do is I want you to get your trumpets. I want you to get a bunch of Mel Millers, and I want you to walk around the city seven days in a row. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times, and then I just want you to scream. That's all you got to do. And I will defeat this city. Seriously? And he does. And I can't think, and you, you can't either, I can't think of one reason why they wouldn't just do what God said, except that they didn't want to. I think Jonah's one of the funniest stories in the whole Bible. It's one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. Because here you actually have a prophet of God who liked being a prophet. It talks about Jonah other places. And he likes being a prophet of God. And God sends him to an evil, wicked nation to tell them that God is warning to destroy them if they don't repent. And he goes and he does everything in his power not to go there. And God says at the end, why wouldn't you go to Nineveh when I told you to go to Nineveh? It, by the way, in, you know, let me ruin the story. It's not about a big fish. That's just a weird part of the story. But if you want to know the weirdest part of the story, it's the last five verses where God asks him, why didn't you want to go? And he says, because I knew you to be a gracious and merciful God who would redeem these people. What an idiot. Oh, going to hell again. 
I mean, you understand how ridiculous that is, right? I mean, if God told you to go somewhere today and share Christ with somebody, about half of you would go. And the reason he didn't want to tell them was because he didn't like them. You see, the truth is, the problem is, we can't be good enough. Even if he washed us clean today, we would be unclean by the end of this service. We're just not good enough. And so God made another way. He did this through Jesus Christ. He has found a way to make us to freely, and it is a radical freedom. And I was taught growing up that it was a freedom from sin. No, it's not. It's the freedom from consequence of sin. And that is hugely different. You have not been set free from sin. You have been set free from its consequences. Well, what's the difference, Mark? Somebody this afternoon is going to get in a fight with their wife over something stupid, and you're going to say something sinful. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying you will. Some cop's going to pull you over for going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, and you're going to dare be mad at the cop. That's how we live. We're selfish. But God has found a way to make us freely right in His sight. And how did He do this? He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. Another misteaching in a church. And I, I, I don't think, and we'll leave these verses up there while I go through them. So I, I don't think this is intentional. But I think in, in, in our way to explain just how God is gracious, just how gracious it is, he, I think we give the idea that God ignores our sin. He just says, okay, I'm not going I'm I'm, I'm to ignore your sin because you've said the right words. I want you to know that that's not what this says. This says that the Father presented Jesus, presented, presented, as the sacrifice for our sin. In other words, it's not that your sin won't be paid for, it's that he's putting it on himself. That's a huge difference. Uh, the Greek word here for presented is, uh, and sacrifice is propitiation. Simply said, it means the payment that is due for the sin that we have and continue to do. So God presented Jesus on the altar so that we would not get the punishment that we deserve. So God put on his son what should be on you. When you wonder sometimes, and maybe you don't, but if you ever wonder, why did Jesus have to be beaten and stripped naked and mocked before they killed him? Just put him on a cross and kill him. Just bleed him out. Because Jesus wasn't just giving blood so, you don't ha so, so that you could go to heaven. He did every part of that, which is what you and I deserve to have done to us by God himself. More on that next week. But I want to make it clear that nobody is ignoring your sin. Nobody is pretending you didn't sin. And nobody, just because you say a few magic words or you're baptized or you walk the right aisle, is saying that God's going, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. He did worry about it. And he put it on his son. On the cross, somehow, the Trinity split. When Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, why have you turned your back on me? Do you have any idea how excruciating this was for God? We have some idea if we look at the story because Jesus swept, uh, sweated, thank you, drops of blood. He told three humans, come with me and pray for me because I'm struggling. He asked the Father, remove this cup of suffering from him but not my will, yours be done. So I would rather go through unbelievable humility. And by the way, from what we know of Roman cross hang on top of everything else you know, 
They did not put a loincloth around their waist. They hung there naked. And if you don't think that they tried, they, they threw mocking things about his nakedness, that just adds to this humiliating event where the creator of the universe who spoke into existence, the very people that mocked him hung naked before them. Why? So we could have our sins paid for and we could be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Looking under the hood, pulling out a spark plug, and gapping it. Well, I've heard this, Mark. I've heard it a hundred times. I, I don't know why we have to do it again. Because we can never afford to forget it. Because this was never, ever about you and I not going to hell. I'll get there in a moment. It was about him loving us. L- let me keep going. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be continually made right with God through Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. Hebrews 10, 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the systems were repeated again and again, year after year, but they never were able to provide a perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided a perfect cleansing, what is a perfect cleansing? Complete cleansing. It didn't offer cleansing for tomorrow or the day after. If they were, they were never able to do that, For those who came to worship, if they could have provided a perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why Christ came into the world. He said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the Scriptures. For Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings of sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. And here's what he did. He cancels the second covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Hallelujah is right. Once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which will never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for what? All time. So how can you believe in you could lose your salvation? You, you can't. Because it ain't about you. It's about the perfect sacrifice. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. What was God's will? That we would be made and declared holy. That was his will. That was his plan. That we could be right with him without the requirements of a law we couldn't keep. But why would he do that? Look, this is so important. Don't, don't sleep. We're, we're, we're nearing the end. We're rounding third here. Don't sleep. Lifting the hood. Pulling the spark plug out. You've got to look at this because this will protect you doctrinally and help you fall in love with a God you've never met physically. 
Ephesians chapter 1. Will you put it up there for us, please? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So he chose us to be holy. Why? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. And that gave him pleasure. So here's the point. The point of your salvation. While I get the evangelistic walk an aisle, pray a prayer so you won't go to hell. I get that. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. The problem is, most Christians never grow beyond that. The whole point of you being saved was not to keep you out of hell. Hell isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. Hell is the, hell is the result, the judgment of God. And Jesus Christ is God's offer to make sure you don't have to pay for it. In fact, I, rem- I think I've told you this before. Annie and I were driving when she was in high school one time. And it was right around Easter. And she was like, I just sometimes struggle with the idea that God would die for me. And I said, better him than us. That's how he felt. He took our punishment that we deserve so that we could be made holy, so that we could be adopted. If you're not clear on this, everything about every word in this book is about God loving you and chasing you. It's him loving you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Oh, yeah, so now I don't have to go to hell. That's just, that's just the uh, beginning of it. You need to understand that he is passionately crazy in love with you. He's not crazy and passionate in love with animals. Can I, can I hobby horse for a second? There are, I, one of my favorite teachers just came out with a book entitled, Will Dogs Go to Heaven? That is so offensive. You can ask me that question, but I want you to know my answer is going to be, that's awfully selfish of you. Do you not understand what this is really about? I know, now you're not going to ask me the question because Mark can be mean. Understand that this isn't, heaven is not the place you go and you hang out and you just sit in your living room with your little cat that never dies. Heaven is where we get to go be with God and for the first time forever, face to face, right with him, sitting on his lap, enjoying him, and him going, let me show you about my creation. We get to be with God, not with our dogs. What have we done to this story? And I, some of you are laughing at me like, calm down, Mark. Seriously, I know Texans love their dogs, but if heaven to you is the place you get to be with your dog, then you're not looking high enough because you get to be with your God. You know, the one who can send you to hell, that you deserve to go to hell. You know, another question we ask, how can a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. We chose hell. We'll get into that later in Romans. We chose hell in the garden, and sin is passed down through the male line, and everybody is doomed because of it. God said, I'm not okay with that. I created them to fellowship with me. I want them to know me. I want to know them. I want to walk with them. I want to walk again like we did in the garden in the cool of the day, and I don't want them to spend the whole time going, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm such a screw-up. Oh, I don't deserve this. I want them to talk to me like a daddy. That's why he did this. And when we go, oh, that message is unloving. What is unloving about telling people that you are going to hell, but God offers you eternal life with him? And church, your life is not about serving yourself. Your life is one of joy and hope. The reason we sing these songs 
The reason we declare be enthroned is because of the reason he saved us. The reason we go to Brazil is to tell people that no matter what's going on in your country, God loves you and wants to adopt you, and in a hundred years, all this mess will be over. The reason the church should not panic over elections is because in 40 years it's over. We go home. We win. Never again will we worry about this. But we're so freaked out about it. Oh, what's going on? As if we're surprised. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, except for those of us that God put our sin on Jesus, and he says, you come with me. We are children of the Most High. The whole purpose of our salvation was so that we could walk with God holding his hand like my grandson does with his daddy. I'm scared, Daddy. I know. Will you take the scary thing away? No. We'll just walk through it together. I want you to take the scary thing away. I will in time. But not yet. Men and women, this is about God loving us enough. It's not because he went, oh, they're all going to go to hell. Oh, no. They're all going to be in trouble. That's not it. He declared you holy so that he could adopt you. That was the price of your adoption. Propitiation, payment for what you deserved. It isn't ignored. It isn't forgotten. It isn't overlooked. It's paid for. And it was paid for 2,000 years ago while you were yet a sinner. So what you did last night was already paid for. If you've confessed your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that all is past, present, and future. So maybe I should just keep sitting, Pastor, so that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. And if I can quote Paul, Meganoito, I'll talk about that in a few weeks. Stop it! That's still about you. That's what got you in trouble in the first place. Romans 3. Now listen to it all together. 21 to 26, here we go. Now God has shown us a way to be made right without keeping the requirements of the law to which all of God's children said, Amen. Because I can't keep his law. And this was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone's sin, to be clear, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, and by the way, we continue to fall short of it. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. We continue to break his law. We continue to sin. But he continues to forgive. He continues to show grace. And he continues to put it on Jesus. He did this. He began it. He declared it. And he continues it through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair. And he himself is just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Paul wants us to know that God loves people of all time so much that even Old Testament saints 
were dealt with the same way we are. Only they looked forward by faith to God providing a sacrifice for their sin. They too realized that they fell short of God's required standard, and they would need to trust by faith that the same God that they fell short of would somehow show mercy to them and remove their unworthiness in some way and at some time. To be clear, and this is a question I get a lot, Old Testament saints before Jesus were saved in the exact same way that you were saved. And let me give you an example of what that looks like. Job chapter 19, verse 25. This is Job's statement. As for me, I know that my Redeemer, we could spend the rest of our time talking about what redemption means, Savior, the one who buys me back, lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at that thought. In other words, even Job is going, I'm putting my faith in God. And Job didn't understand what happened after death. Go back and read it and limit yourself. It's the oldest book of the Bible. We believe it took place right before Noah and his ark. And, and he didn't understand a lot about life after death. He refers to death as Sheol of the grave. There's a little, he believes in the retribution principle. Basically, you do good, God blesses. You get, you know, you do bad, God judges. But this is his doctrinal fact where he is on point. All I know is that my Redeemer lives. This is all I know at the end of the day. My Redeemer lives and one day he'll walk upon the earth. And after I have died, I will go to be with him in my body. He didn't know what that looked like. He didn't know what that would be or how it would be, but he trusted God for it, just like you trust him for it looking back. But how blessed are we to know the whole story? We know the whole story. That's why we've got to gap that spark plug. That's why we've got to understand. We can't ignore it. When you want a conversation with somebody who's lost to be short, don't go to hell. It's not just about hell. It's about adoption because this is a love story. Love isn't an afterthought. And by the way, he not only doesn't want you to go to hell, he, he loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, I'm not sure God's plan for my life is all that wonderful all the time in my experience, but I do know he loves me and he's got a great plan. We're lying to people in halves. We're saying things to folks that simply don't bear out in their lives. And what we can tell, and everybody knows it, is that they fall short, that they make mistakes, that they will one day be held in account. And we have the answer, according to Paul, for the solution to that problem. And it's better than they can imagine because God didn't just send Jesus down here to solve the problem of their sin. He sent Jesus down here to make us adoptable. And that is a story game changer. I just mixed my metaphors. Verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. And yet we act like we do. We're so judgmental of the lost as, as if... We were smarter than them. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. And i got to tell you something. And I'm not talking to my Assembly of God friends. I'm talking to my Baptist friends. You went to church most of your life and every Sunday the pastor pointed out another way you were sinning. And the application of that message was knock it off. I'm here to tell you, put your eyes on Jesus because he took care of it for you. That doesn't mean you should continue down that path. It will destroy you even if you're a child of God. But I am telling you, 
that the only way to overcome addiction and sin is not to stare in the, in the mirror more and write little nice sayings about yourself. The only way to overcome sin is to put your eyes on the back of the Redeemer who loves you. It's it. That's it. It's the only way. The other ways don't work. Because I've been in them. I've been to accountability groups for pornography where we spend 45 minutes of every hour talking about pornography and two minutes talking about Jesus and the last 10 minutes about where we're going to eat. Because sin isn't your problem. If you're not saved this morning, sin isn't the problem. It's your relationship with God that's the problem. Sin is the thing that's keeping you from Him, and it's already been paid for. So you're the problem. Your pride, your arrogance, your rejection of humility. And child of God, you have been radically, overwhelmingly, only God could create this, saved by Him and adopted into His family. So follow your daddy. Follow your daddy. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And this is what Paul says about you from Colossians 1. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Notice he's not talking about judgment here. He's talking about reconciliation. He has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Well, he's talking about somebody else. No, he's talking about you. You stand before him, child of God, without a single fault because those faults were put on Jesus, which is why he bled out on that cross. That's what's under the hood, and that is what it looks like to gap the spark plug of salvation. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm pretty sure that... uh, Most of us here have heard these things, but boy, to see them together in one section of Scripture, it is uh, very, um, it's just just mind-blowing. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would love you back because you loved us first, that we would trust you with our lives because of what you've done for us, and you are trustworthy. Father, I pray that when we look at the lost, we don't mock at their silliness or we don't scream at their wickedness, but our hearts bleed as your heart bleeds for us. That we will long for them to know our Heavenly Father and be one of his adopted children. If there's somebody watching online this morning or in this room, Lord, that has never accepted by faith your offer to forgive their sin, may today be the day of salvation the day they accept your offer to forgive their sin and they have, are adopted by the King of Kings. Lord, we love you, but even more important than how we feel about you, thank you for how you feel about us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you do not know Jesus Christ this morning and you'd like to talk about this some more, I'll be sitting up here right after. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful day.